0: Welcome to My Two Cents with host J.R. Robinson and co-host Jessica Lonnie-Rich. Are you on track for a secure retirement? If things go badly in the markets, will my nest egg still last? How do changing tax rules impact consumer savings and spending strategies? How do I know my financial advisor is competent and ethical? How do I organize my financial life? We'll answer important personal finance questions like these and so much more. And we'll do it in a way that makes a dry, arcane topic engaging and entertaining. And now here are your hosts, J.R. and Jessica.
1: Welcome to another episode of My Two Cents with financial planner J.R. Robinson. I'm co-host Jessica Lani-Rich. The title of today's show is Financial Planning as a Treasure Hunt. What a fascinating title. J.R., what do you mean by that?
2: Okay, well, um, we will see. We have actually, not not to kill the suspense, but basically this week's show, episode nine, it's actually just a continuation of last week's program, um, and as you may recall, the title of last week's show was "Financial Planning Done Right," and my objective was to illustrate to our, our listeners how real, comprehensive financial planning is. You know, so much more than just uh, portfolio management, investment selection. And today, I wanted to. We, we had some uncovered ground from last year. I wanted to continue on that, and really, as you'll see, we'll develop the 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 concept of how it's a treasure hunt, but uh, it's really just continuing the same thing about making the non-investment aspects of financial planning tangible to our listeners.
1: That sounds great, but I do have a quick question. Is there a difference between comprehensive and holistic financial planning? I've heard you use both terms in our conversations.
2: Yeah, well, uh, within the financial planning community, I see those terms used interchangeably. And I, like, I, like you said, I, I use them interchangeably in everyday conversation too. Um, that said, I, I think I prefer the term comprehensive financial planning because um, I, I think I, I see the term holistic used more frequently in, in the medical field or, or associated with health and wellness. And uh, I'm a big fan of yoga and uh, I'm, I follow a plant-based diet, dietary lifestyle myself, but I wouldn't want people to think that my um, expertise extends into that realm. If you know what I mean. So uh, I prefer comprehensive yeah. financial planning, but I like I, said, I still use holistic planning too. It's the same thing. Same same thing.
1: Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for the uh, explanation of that. But for the benefit of our listeners who have not turned into last week's episode. Can you start off by just giving us a recap of the important themes from last week and I believe you led with the importance of having an organi- organizational platform. Tell us what it is.
2: Yeah, so, so there are a few a few important points that are um, worth recapping from last week that I really wanted to important and impart and to uh, reinforce today. Um uh, the first is that, you know, there's this perception that a financial plan is a document that's presented to you by the financial planner. And that's, I, th- I think, a dated concept. Uh, today, uh, a financial plan is an online platform that allows um, allows people to easily centralize, organize, monitor and maintain um, literally every aspect of, of people's lives and to do so over time. So it makes, this platform makes it easy to update and adapt over time. And in practice, what this means is usually it's, it's one or more cloud-based planning apps is, is the, are the tools that you use to do that. Uh, the characteristics of a good financial planning uh, platform app, I would say they include things like account linking and account aggregation capabilities. Uh, they should have uh, some budgeting and spending functionality. Uh, they should also have the ability to produce on-demand reports that are, are clear and concise, uh, things like net worth statements, um, off-balance sheet assets, s- summaries of insurance uh, coverages, uh, broad and detailed asset allocations, um, things like that. And additionally, and we're going to be talking about this more today too, but one of the most important elements of that organizational platform, and one that I emphasized last week is is an online document vault where uh, its purpose is to store to store the you know, important financial planning documents, and this functionality is is really absolutely essential to comprehensive planning um, to any planning app platform. And as I mentioned last week, it's sort of baffling to me why our the personal finance industry as a whole—that's both the consumer side and the and the um, planner side of the fence—it's baffling to me why most financial planning apps today don't include that functionality in their platforms. They have everything but a document storage vault. And that I think it's maybe our industry is still too investment centric, um, but really that's the critical component is this is where you do all the non-investment um, financial planning stuff. And it's I think it's more important than the investment side.
1: So JR, are you saying long are the days of the paperwork where If people would have all their paper files and put it in folders and along that topic, uh, can you also review the important non-investment elements of personal financial planning?
2: Sure, sure. And uh, sure answers. Yeah, I think the days of paper files and paper folders are 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 gone. Um, we'll still have sometimes clients will bring in like twenty years worth of account statements. <laughs> That's all. Yeah,
1: right. there's, there's no reason <laughs> yeah. to
2: keep that paper. It's a fire hazard uh, in your house. So um, now these days, uh, cl- cloud-based storage applications uh, secure, obviously is is a much better solution and you know when as opposed to a regular file copy that requires you to physically throw away documents and add new documents everything's online you just delete the old one and upload the new one it makes it yeah you know, it's much more efficient as a planning tool and much easier as in terms of succession planning for people to see everything too. You, know, you just log in and you can see how all the documents are organized um so yeah i think uh, everything's cloud-based i wouldn't just store things on somebody's hard drive you know you're computer can burn in a fire or get stolen or whatever, but it's some sort of a cloud secure cloud-based solution is, is, is uh, critical. So in terms of the elements that are um, uh, relating to non-investment, these are the, you know, the, the key elements and really very important in financial planning. These include topics um, such as estate planning, uh, tax planning, insurance, uh, and insurance risk management. You, know, you use insurance as a tool to manage certain risks. Um, qualified retirement plans and IRAs, um, employee benefits is another big element. Um, how you title assets, that's asset registration and beneficiary designations. Uh, those are critical, um, social security benefits planning coordination. That's also a big part of the non-investment side, um, Medicare planning. That's another, and there's probably there, well, not probably, there are a bunch of others, but those are the, those are the, you know, the primary ones, at least in my practice, the ones that I focus on. Um, and I always tell people, you know, you, you don't really need me to, to you, nobody, nobody pays me or hires me to buy them a basket of ultra low cost efficient index funds. We use index funds in portfolio management a lot, but you can get those for free. I mean, those, those are commodities. Um, that's not really why you should hire a financial planner. Uh, instead, I, I think the biggest reason why consumers may want to enlist somebody like me is that we help gather up and organize all of these non-investment, you know, uh, related documents. And then we go through them all to catch all of the mistakes and oversights and opportunities that the consumer wouldn't likely detect on their own. And and they're a big deal. I mean, they're like I said, we'll illustrate through example today, but these are, you know, many, time, many, most of the time more valuable than you know, picking the right stock or bond or mutual fund or, you know, all, all that. So, so um, that's today's, today's talk.
1: And in that process that you're talking about, Jr. Uh, those mistakes or oversights and opportunities is what you refer to as the treasure hunt, right?
2: Yep. That's, that's absolutely right. And, and, um, that information gathering and review process tends to be more time consuming than you might think. It, it, uh, it requires the planner me to, to sift through pages and pages of really often dry arcane documents. Um, but from my perspective, Sifting through all of those documents that nobody else wants to read is sort of what makes my job fun. I mean, it's I, that's why I say it's akin to a treasure hunt. You know, finding those mistakes, those oversights and opportunities in these documents and presenting them to the clients is as personally rewarding to me. I find it it fuels my passion for financial planning. And, you know, obviously being able to find the treasure requires a, a certain amount of expertise and, and experience and knowing what to look for. Um, but I'd argue that Acquiring that knowledge is is actually, I don't know if it's more difficult. It's probably less quantitative, but it's 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 at least more time consuming than learning basic investment and portfolio management concepts. Um, so in our last show, I gave a bunch of examples of planning mistakes and opportunities that I've caught over the years. Uh, but because I am incurably long winded, I had to uh, rush through it a little <laughs> no, bit. You know, I, you know, we <laughs> never run out of content on the show because I just keep talking. So. Um, but I, I, did, I did not get a chance to, uh, to make the value of considering all of those topics um, on each of the non-investment elements as tangible as I would have liked. So today, I was hoping that maybe we could pick up uh, where we left off and, and, uh, and keep that ball rolling.
1: That sounds great, JR. And you know what? As you're talking about this treasure hunt, I'm getting this visual image in my mind also along those same lines, almost like a gold miner has a pan with dirt in it and gold nuggets. And you are looking for that treasure hunt. And there you find that gold nugget. That sounds really good. Let's do that.
2: Yeah, you sift through a lot of stuff to to find the gems. Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But before we dig right into this, can you share with our listeners some of the documents that they should include in their cloud-based document files? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So
2: um, these are the things that I ask just about every every you know, new client to provide, and, or either they bring in documents or they upload themselves into the vault. Um, and these include their estate planning documents, which typically is their advanced health care directives, the Durable Powers of Attorneys, um, their wills and trusts, uh, if they have those and, um, uh, you know, other, any other related estate planning documents at the same time, if they have, if their parents have document, have drafted documents and have named them in, and I ask them to provide copies of those documents too. Um, if they have adult children, most cases, they don't actually have the documents for the adult children. If they do, I'll have them upload those. And I'll probably suggest that they do get them on their kids, but for the advanced healthcare directive and durable power of attorney in particular. Um, so those documents, in terms of uh, tax documents, I usually ask for the prior two years personal and business tax returns and uh, pay stubs if they're W-2 employees. Um, legal documents that I ask for that would include um, you know, business ownership interests, things like articles of incorporation, partnership agreements, and that sort of thing. Um, I always ask for the if they're, if they're employees, um, their employee benefits handbooks, along with the related uh, summary plan descriptions and also the uh, annual benefit summary statements that they get. I ask for their uh, real estate ownership records and property tax statements. Uh, I'll ask for um, investment account and bank statements just so I can, I don't need the whole statement, uh, especially if they're linking their accounts, but I do want to see the ownership designation on the account, so just there, like the cover page of that. Um, the uh, I also look for uh, any official document that names the beneficiaries, primary and contingent beneficiaries on documents. I'll always ask for that. Um, and those, like people say, "Oh, my kids are the successor or contingent beneficiaries. I'm like I, you're telling me isn't enough. I actually need to see the official document. Because I'll, As an right. example, I'll, I'll find that somebody had two kids and they failed to update the document when the third kid was born. So yeah you know, that's, I'm looking for mistakes like that. So I want to see what what does the document say. Or sometimes I'll see the company messed up and just lost it. So um, so uh, getting those um, what else, uh, uh, beneficiary forms for health savings accounts, their retirement accounts, group life insurance, individual life insurance, 529 college savings plans, getting all of that. Um, I also want to see their, uh, insurance policy information, so that uh, declarations pages for homeowners, auto and umbrella coverage, for example. Um, and I want to look at, uh, you know, the, life insurance, disability, and long-term care insurance policy, summaries and statements, if they have that. Um, sometimes even the original policy. Um, what else? Uh, oh, for yeah, medical insurance coverage. And this is not an area I have any expertise, but I want to see what the coverage is and have the contact information and, in there. Um, uh, also, Medicare and um, uh, Medicare supplemental plans, and their medi- Medicare coverage uh, plans. So Social Security earnings statements is another uh, document I look for. Pension benefit statements. Um, that's all I can think of off the top of my head, but there's there's actually more. But you get the idea. It's enough to keep people busy for a while when I um, when I give them that list.
1: Yeah, Jay Hart, That is a lot of paper, <laughs> and I would imagine that it would take you know some of uh, the people, some of the people, some time to get all these documents together <laughs> as
2: well. You betcha. It um, you know fortunately these days most most of those documents are readily available in PDF format or are relatively easily scanned and uploaded. Um, you know, most attorneys, for example, have the state planning documents in PDF format. But um, I found over time that the people who enlist me to develop a, a comprehensive plan for them don't fully appreciate just how much effort is required on their parts to get me that stuff. And um, just like you said, it, it takes some um, sometimes months of gentle reminders to get all of those documents together that I need to actually do do my job well. Uh, but it's, it's, it's definitely worth doing. And, and, um, I actually have had some people just give up because I just can't do all that. Well, I, just, I can't do my job, so. <laughs> um, but it is, it's, it's, it's labor intensive and it's labor intensive for them to get the material. And it's just as labor intensive for me to go through it all, organize it, sort through it and look and start the treasure hunt. You know, when I have all of those documents, that is when the treasure hunt starts,
1: um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I like what you said that you give a gentle reminder. <laughs> I know. Maggie. There's sometimes
2: I'm called Maggie. <laughs> that,
1: yeah, you know, that's what I would I would think. But no, yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, with that as a backdrop, let's dig right back into the treasure hunt that we're talking about today. Where would you like to begin in terms of providing real life examples, JR, that illustrate the importance of addressing the non-investment elements of financial planning?
2: yeah um actually I'll tell you what I would i have um I have a couple of great examples to share on that um but maybe let's do that right after the commercial break and um, and yeah this is a, this is a, the fun part the storytelling part so yeah let's uh let's go to break and we'll get right into those when we get back. <music> Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Tune in every week for My Two Cents with host J.R. Robinson and co-host Jessica Lonnie Rich. J.R. is the founder of Financial Planning Hawaii and a co-founder of software maker Nest Egg Guru. You'll gain professional insight into some of the hottest topics in financial planning today, and along the way, you'll hear some of the great stories that make learning about personal finance entertaining. Listen for My Two Cents every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are listening to my two cents we'd love to hear from you on the program today call in to one 472 5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 if you'd rather send an email the email address is info at fphawaii.com now back to my two cents here again are your hosts jr robinson and jessica lani rich
1: our topic today is financial planning as a treasure hunt. We are talking with host J.R. Robinson, financial planner, and I'm Jessica Lonnie rich your co-host. And J.R., just before the break, you were giving us a backdrop of the treasure hunt that we're talking about. Where would you like to begin in terms of providing real-life examples that illustrate the importance of addressing the non-investment elements of financial planning?
2: All right, so I think on the last on our last episode, um, I started uh, we started running out of time when, was, when I was talking about IRAs and qualified plans. I think I I kind of rushed through that, so I thought maybe I'd start with a couple of stories relating to that. Um, and it's here, I'll just dig right in. Um, here are a couple of stories in which knowing sort of um, obscure IRA tricks and rules can add real value uh, to. To to the client, so I'll give you one. It's sort of um, sort of a, a touching or heart, heart forming example, but um, and this is this is sort of when I was first starting to get passionate about um, financial planning. I was reading, a, I was learning how many rules there were pertaining to small business retirement plans because I wanted to, to, that to sort of be my niche. I was learning a lot about IRA rules and that sort of thing, and it applies. So I had um, a client. I was I'd only been in the business for a few years, and I was really wasn't even a financial planner yet, but I was just starting to get interested in that stuff. And um, I was managing this fellow's IRA. been a client for about a year, and um, and uh, he came in into my office one day. And um, this was in the early '90s. I was still in I was still in Massachusetts. I hadn't moved to Hawaii yet. And um, this fellow was in his late '40s, and um, almost all of his savings were either in a rollover IRA he'd set up with me and his um, 401k plan that he had with GE. And this was before, like I said, this is way before I was doing any any real financial planning. But I. I had just been to a seminar that had introduced me to some really cool IRA rules. And it was just kind of, this is my first chance actually to, to actually apply those rules and find a situation that actually matched. And um, so he came in and he explained to me that um, his parents were elderly. And he said he was in his late forties um, and he was the only child. And um, he was, his parents had recently taken, um, their health had sort of declined and he really felt compelled to take care of them. He didn't want them to go into a nursing home. And he was um, he was extremely loyal to his parents. They had also lived in Pittsfield, where, where I was at that time. Um, and he said uh, he wanted to quit his job. He said, I want to go take care of my parents. I want to go live with my parents and take care of them. He said, you know, I know um, I've got some problems. I don't have you know enough money to retire. Um, but the only savings that I have are in my retirement accounts. It's my, my 401k and the IRA with me. And he said, "I'm only 45 or 40. I think he's 48 at the time." Um, and he said, I, "I can't. I know I can't take that money out without paying tax and a 10 percent penalty. So, do you have any advice to me where I might be able to um, to deal with that?" And um, I actually had just gone to that seminar. So uh, at that seminar, I was introduced to something called IRS Rule 72t, which ba- makes basically it makes an exception to the 10 percent early withdrawal penalty. Um, if you take out your IRA, um, and it can be a separately carved out IRA which what we did in this case, but, um, as long as you take the money out in what are called substantially equal payments over the longer of five years or until age 59 and a half, the IRS won't, won't check on the 10% penalty. So I explained the rule to him and I said, um, how much do you have an idea for how much you need? And he gave me the figure and, um, he actually had sufficient money in his IRA and also his 401k and GE, where he could um, he could he didn't even need to, to take it all out. So we set up a separate IRA and scheduled it so that he get this substantially equal payments over. I think it was the next 12 years until he turned 59 and a half, and um, and then he it's you know he was able to take the money out year by year and not just just pay t- income tax on I mean, it. It was in a low tax rate because he didn't have any earned income anymore, so it was working out fine for him. But a year or two later, um, this is right before I moved to Hawaii, um, he said, uh, I, you know, "I think I need more money." So we did the same thing. We just took another I, subsection of his IRA, set up another IRA and did the sub, substantially equal payments off of that. So that was, I mean, it, it, and he, he wasn't worried about retirement because he knew that yeah, if he's taking care of his parents, they weren't spending a lot of money in nursing homes. And he was eventually going to inherit their house and their home anyway. He thought, yeah, it just made him feel good to be able to do that for his parents. Um, and I thought it was great. I, mean, I, thought, I thought this, and that was sort of like, that fueled, that was the beginning of fueling my passion. Like, Wow, you can really make a difference in somebody's life by knowing these little rules um that was a
1: great story jr i can the amount of money that you saved him and he was able to get the money out what a rewarding experience that must have been for you and of course in his case it probably made him so happy and pleased that he could take care of his parents and not worry about money
2: yeah it was really cool and it's i mean that like when i say it's a treasure hunt and i i I kind of you can see my eyes get watered up just telling that story um and the there's lots of things like that, and you'll see this. I love sharing these examples and these stories because this happens all the time. Um, and just using that, like almost a similar example, just a, a uh, but just you know, slightly different. Ten or fifteen years ago, I had a a client who had rolled over a large 401k to me from uh, his employer when his employer was basically taken over by another company. So they, you know, closed out that old 401k. It had to take another year before he got to qualify for the new company's 401k. So we had a, it was for I was managing his IRA for him. Um and then a couple of years later he calls me up and says, um, he the, he sees the writing on the wall that the new company is, I remember whether they're gonna close his division or if the new company was just gonna move to the mainland or what, but they were um uh they were he, he felt like his job wasn't very secure. He was he was just turning fifty five, which actually is what fortuitous age for him. And he said, "What the same thing. He's like, what can I do? I can't get money out of my stuff until I'm I'm ready to retire. I'm kinda of burned out anyway. Um, And he had enough money to retire, but he's just like, I can't access my retirement funds because of a 10% penalty. Um, In his case, it was actually a little simpler. We could have done the same thing with the 72T distribution for him. There's also colloquially known as the 401k age of 55 rule. Um, But if you you participate in a 401k plan and if the plan document allows for it, which his company's plan did, you can retire. If the company terminates or you separate from service, you can take money out of a 401k plan at age
0: 55
2: without being subject to 10% penalty. You have to be fifty five when you leave, it, you, know, you can't turn fifty five after. But if he he was fifty five, and um, uh, and we ended up because he had only been participating in that company's retirement plan for a short period of time, there wasn't much money in it. But we we he knew it was coming, so we took his IRA that he would rolled over to me, rolled it back into the four hundred one k. So that he and it was a good plan too. The low fees, expensive to me, it made a lot of sense. So he was able to move it back to the four hundred one k and say, "Hey, retired at fifty five, living off his four hundred one k money." So. Um, again, just a little, little, million little rules, but it's how you can make a difference.
1: And that is great. And it sounds like in those two stories you just told us, you made a big difference. And those are really interesting stories. JR, what else have you got?
2: Yeah, those two examples are <laughs> it's, it's, it's just being yeah. a f- aware of a few quirky IRA rules adds value. But the, the beauty of it, from my perspective as a financial planner, is there's zillions of rules like that. And what's more, the rules keep changing. So like I, said, I have always got job security. Um, but in terms, of, yeah, some other um, other stories. So uh, I, I told you I was learning about these rules because I was interested in, in catering to the small business retirement plan market originally. Right. And so I have a lot of clients who are are small business owners and um, understanding the rules pertaining to qualified retirement plans, not just IRAs, but qualified retirement plans. Um, is a great opportunity for tax savings and, and efficiency for a lot of people. And understanding those rules that apply to different types of small business retirement plans. And by that retirement plans, I mean it starts with SEP IRAs, simplified employee pension plans, uh, SIMPLE IRAs, four hundred one k plans, um, uh, often with safe harbor provisions, uh, defined benefit pension plans. Those are all types of of qualified retirement plans. And um, you know just for. Way of background. My general approach when talking to a small business owner client is you start with the simplest type of plan available, the lowest cost, easiest to administer plan, and then you move up in complexity only as the client's needs or tax objectives dictate. And um, so, I'll give you an example of how that how that might work. So, um, another example is so I have a, a client whose wife participated in a four hundred one k plan, and she was uh, she had pretty good income. At, I want to say maybe around a quarter of a million. I'm, I might be making up the number it. Relatively good income, but a really terrible plan, a high expense group, group annuity contract. And she was only putting enough money from her salary deferral into that plan to get the company safe harbor match. So she was bringing, I think, 4%. The company was matching her, uh, or she was bringing 5%. The company was matching 4%, something like that. And her husband was self-employed. Um, and he was making like maybe around $75,000, something like that. And he had a set plan, a simplified employee pension plan for his business. Um, but he's like, you know, we're getting hammered in income taxes. Is there anything more that we can do to put in more money into retirement? Plan? So the basic long and short, as I said, ended up encouraging him to set up a, a one, a, one person, basically a mom and pop solo 401k for himself. And he could add his wife to that, even though she's contributing to a different plan, pay her enough so that they could each, um, they're under fifties so there. These days they'd be limited to putting in Nineteen thousand five hundred dollars each into that through salary deferral, he put her on the payroll and pay her enough to fully fund it. Um, just so that, you know, her total contribution limit would be nineteen thousand five hundred between the employer plan and hers. He could put in nineteen thousand five hundred, and then he could make an additional profit sharing contribution to both of them from the earnings. They could end up stocking a lot more away than what they were able to do with this, with the SEP uh, on their own and, and the little amount that she was putting into her employer four hundred one k. So just an example of where you can send some save people literally thousands and thousands of dollars a year in taxes just by knowing the rules of different small business retirement get it not complicated but there's a lot to know um, the um, uh, another example along the same way I have uh, a lot of small business uh, owners who had um, really really high income because they had been successful business owners for a long time and they're often in their you know, 50s or early 60s and they're just um, you know these are people who are earning at a pretty high level anywhere at half a million to a million dollars a year and they're they're getting they want to reduce their income tax burden as much as they possibly can. And so in those cases you know sometimes they had 401ks already sometimes they didn't but we would set up a, a 401k because they usually have employees too a safe harbor 401k and pair that with a defined benefit plan that would primarily benefit them the business owners and with those plans in a couple of cases they're setting aside a couple hundred thousand dollars a year on a pre-tax basis into these retirement accounts. And it's helping them make up for lost time. And they, you know, when they were starting out, they couldn't afford to save. But it's, it's just knowing those rules and knowing the tools that are available and knowing the professionals that can help service those that adds value. And so those are some, some simple examples of where you can add value. It's really easy for a planner to add value. I think it's a low-hanging fruit in small business retirement plan space.
1: Those are great stories, JR, especially since you're basically informing the clients about information that they never knew about. And as a result of that, you are putting a lot more money into their household. And that, that's an amazing story. And I know you often refer to employee benefits as a honey hole for enabling you to create tangible value for your clients. Can you explain to our listeners how you incorporate employee benefits into that planning process?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I borrowed the term honey hole from that TV show, American Pickers. I don't know if you've seen that, but they, they refer to that as an antique spot that's really got rich, rich with stuff. So it's, a, it's it applies to my treasure okay. analogy too. But uh, uh, yeah, so I, I, I view the employee benefits handbook as a honey hole because it's typically this thick, uh, text heavy, jargon rich book that few employees ever take the time to read. And um, I've read so many of them over the years that it's actually pretty easy for me to skip through them and and to know where I can find the hidden treasure. And um, just to give you uh, some examples of the treasure that you can find, it's some this really simple stuff, but it's just you know it's just buried in this document. Um, so here's a couple of really easy ones. So um, I had a, a client who um, it was a, I think they were working for Raytheon, maybe it was the company, but a big thick benefits book and lots of benefits, which is great. Um, but they, in, hidden in those in that text was a benefit that gave them $1,500 for a state plan to draft their estate planning documents. $1,500 free. Just go to the attorney. They'll pay $1,500. Wow. You don't know it's there. You don't do it, right? Or you end up paying, yeah, exactly. paying for yourself. So that was one. Um, another was a uh, uh, client had, had, was completely unaware that the um, medical insurance plan they had, this is a local plan, HMSA plan, actually had a $30,000 death benefit on it too. So there's if something happened to them, they'd get thirty thousand dollars. Well, they didn't know that, and if they didn't know that, and they didn't have a beneficiary form for it, or they didn't, uh, you know, didn't even know it existed. No one, if they died, no one even even know to file the claim. So raising them awareness of that simple. You know, that's just knowing that that's there. Um, another one had it was a, a client worked for a bank, and um, and she did not know, but her bank offered a five thousand dollars scholarship to children of bank employees. Who maintain a B average in college yeah 5,000 bucks free so um, wow. So it was uh, it's cool stuff like that so um, I've got more stories like that maybe we'll uh, go to a break I'll share a couple more on this topic uh, because this is actually a fun I really like the employee benefits uh, handbook stuff so I'll go, go over a couple more of those and we'll keep digging for treasure <laughs>
0: Become our friend on
2: Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Tune in every week for My Two Cents with host J.R. Robinson and co-host Jessica Lonnie Rich. J.R. is the founder of Financial Planning Hawaii and a co-founder of software maker Nest Egg Guru. You'll gain professional insight into some of the hottest topics in financial planning today. And along the way, you'll hear some of the great stories that make learning about personal finance entertaining. Listen for My Two Cents every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. listening to my two cents we'd love to hear from you on the program today call in to one 472 5788 that's one 472 5788 if you'd rather send an email the email address is info at fphawaii.com now back to my two cents here again are your hosts jr robinson and jessica lani Rich.
1: You're listening to My Two Cents. I'm Jessica Lani-Rich, your co-host, along with financial planner J.R. Robinson. And our topic today is financial planning as a treasure hunt. And we have a lot more on the subject with J.R. Robinson. J.R.? Yeah, so where
2: we left off, I was, um, I was going through um, why I view the employee benefits handbook as a honey hole in terms of finding value for clients when I go through it. And so I gave a few examples. I'll give a couple of more of um, little gems that we found along the way. This one um, I found a, 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 for people a few times, um, had clients who uh, work there. Uh, one was a surgeon, one was um, I remember, a pediatric care physician, something like that, um, with, with local hospitals and um, high, high income, high earning, and um, were looking for ways to reduce taxes. And in the employee benefits handbook, they were aware that they could, that, Uh, they were they had a couple of plans that they had a 403b plan and a 457 plan um which not um usually institutions like public hospitals or or governments might have the ability to contribute to both plans um or university of hawaii for example can also do that um but the um they didn't they thought they had to choose between the two so um the one woman I spoke to said yeah she was putting the maximum into the 403b plan because there was a match and I think on the 457 plan there wasn't a match or it wasn't as much so she was putting 403b plan instead did not realize she could put in both so she she could put in to the, you know nineteen thousand dollars into one plan and, and pre-tax it, nineteen thousand into another pre-tax and you know, double the amount of, of tax savings through sal- salary deferral so um, uh you know that's that's a huge fine that's you know reducing their Income by ten thousand dollars of taxable income is you know, every year you can save that money and help them save for retirement faster. Um, so that was one. Um, let's see what's uh, uh oh another one had um another simple one. A, a client was unaware that he could get a certain amount of spousal insurance coverage for his wife without having a physical. His wife was in poor so health. Just add a little bit of benefit of, of insurance that she wouldn't otherwise qualify for for very low cost through the group group insurance plan. One of my favorite stories though, this is, and, and I don't know if you call this like a big catch because he probably would have, he would, well, he definitely would have eventually found out on his own, but I was going through employee benefits handbook. he was going through his, he had his different retirement plan options and he did not know that he had a pension fund. He, he thought that the pension was his 401k and you know, it, it's in there, but it's, you know, it's, like I said, it's text heavy, it's jargon rich. And so yeah, you know, I went through it. You, you told me you didn't have any other sources of income. You had Social Security and and your 401k account. And I said, you didn't know you have a pension coming? Said, no, I had no idea. I thought it was the same thing. It, it turns out he has like an extra $40,000 a year from guaranteed pension. Didn't know he had. Like I said, I it, it, I mean, I laughed when I found that. And he had wow. a re- he had a really good day. It made his day. He would have found <laughs> yeah. that out when he retired anyway. But, um, but it was one of those things. Wow. It's just, it's, it's right there. And this is the, you know, the documents are confusing. People don't, and people just don't want to read them. And, and we, when they do, they don't necessarily understand them. So um, that was, that was, that was my favorite catch. I said say would, he would have caught it eventually, or it would have been caught for him eventually. But, um, but, yeah, you know, if something happened to him, if, if like, he died unexpectedly, maybe his wife. I don't know. Which I, I assume she would have eventually gotten the money too. But anyway, he was happy to know.
1: They are, That is a, great story. And I can't even imagine, talk about making his day when you, when you told him he has an extra $40,000 in, in his pension fund. It's like, wow. Now, changing subjects a little bit, and uh, but along the same lines, I know what a beneficiary designation is, but what do you mean by asset registration? And how are those two items related to financial planning?
2: Sure. So, Asset registration refers to uh, how accounts are titled uh, or how real assets are registered, you know, real, real property, for example. Um, you know, Are the assets in individual name? Are they in joint name? Are they owned by a trust or by a corporate entity? And the asset registrations are extremely important in financial planning because they have implications um, pertaining to both asset protection, that's protection from creditors if you're sued, that sort of thing. Um, and an asset succession if you die. So, um, and obviously the beneficiary uh, designations uh, play that succession role too. So um, as with all of the other elements that we've discussed, there are a zillion little rules that are related to asset registration beneficiary designations too. But um, again, I'll illustrate them by example. So um, this one isn't actually anything, it wasn't anything, a catch that I caught, but it was, um, this is, Okay, I shared a heartwarming story. This is actually more of um, a nightmare story. Uh, and when I was just first starting out, in a couple of years, I had a prospective new client. They owned a trucking company. And um, they looked like it was your, your classic small mom and pop successful business. And i have been keeping in touch with them over the months, trying to build up rapport. So you know, hoping to eventually make them my, my client. And um, I don't remember what year it was, but it was sometime in the early 1990s, I think. Um, so I, I called them up and they said that they would not be able to work with me and that they had um, uh, they were, were losing all of their assets because on christmas eve uh, they had an employee who drove a company truck and was drunk and killed a bunch of people and their business was a sole proprietorship it was registered in their name and you know it's it's hard because you know, obviously the, the family that suffered so badly in the accident is entitled to those assets you can't say they're not but but from an asset protection perspective, from the financial planners perspective, looking at to protect the assets of the client, um, it would have been wise to have the corporation held in a, in a corporate in corporate entity where that was the only asset in play, not their house and all of their other personal assets, which which they, you know, that there was a lien placed on those assets. Yeah, they are wiped out. Um, they have retirement accounts, I guess were so they don't even think they had once in that at the time. But that's that's a nightmare story of how paying attention to asset registration is important. Um, so, uh, I have another, uh, another, what's that? You, what? I
1: said, that, that's a really sad story. And, and it's heartbreaking to even hear that story, how your client, you know, just worked so hard with his family to build it up. And one employee sort of ruined it for his financial future. Yeah.
2: yeah I mean, it was just, there's no, there's just no silver lining in any of that. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's just a sad one. I have another one that is, um. Uh, it's, it's not. A, it's also not a happy story, but uh, uh, an example of the, this is why I pay so much attention to this stuff, um, these little details. But um, uh, I ran into a client who, um, not a client, it was a prospective client at the time. But um, the actually, I think it was the son who was a client. But the uh, mother had added um, the names of three of her sons to her house, and one of the sons was involved in a nasty divorce and the wife was putting a lien on the house and trying to force a sale on the house. So again, it understood that the succession reasons why the mom might've added the names, but there are better ways to do it than the way she did. And that's an example of what can go wrong. If you either don't know what you're doing or you don't take the time to think about how important asset, asset registration is. Um, So Uh, Other other examples of how that comes into play too. It's just simple stuff, but um, I'll find all the time uh, where companies, you know, employees of companies thought that the four hundred one k beneficiary designation was the same as the beneficiary designation on the group life insurance, um, or vice versa. And so, on one of those, or sometimes both, even they never named a beneficiary. And if something, if they die, it's a it's a nightmare. You'll you'll probably eventually get the money. You pay more tax on than you should have, and and. Yeah, it, it much harder for your heirs to get it. Maybe not even the heirs that you wanted to get it will, will receive it. So um, that's why I asked for copies of all beneficiary designations and all asset registrations. So you, you know, it's, 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 again, low-hanging fruit. If you know what you're doing, it's easy to spot mistakes there. And most people just don't pay any attention to it and don't know what they're looking for. Um, and another one similar, uh, uh, a father added the names of his four kids to his house so that he would avoid probate when he died. And again, there's much easier ways to do it, or much more efficient ways to do it than that. But um, this is one where I caught it. So I actually had them undo the transaction. Um, but if he um, if he had passed away, and he had, I don't know, paid $50,000 for his house in 1960. And, you know, it's in Hawaii, so it's worth you know, close to a million now. Upon his death, the cost basis would be stepped up. Um, but if he died with his kids' names on it, it would have been stepped up one-fifth the amount because he the five owners on the house and the original basis would have been, you know, the amount that was gifted to each of the four children. So it you know, could have ended up costing, you know, when the kids sold the house to, you know, to divide up the assets, they would have paid, had to pay capital gains tax on the difference between his original cost and what it was worth today. All easily avoidable by much easier ways to avoid probate, or much more efficient ways than what, in the way he chose. So that's, that's why you know, all of those examples just, um, make that point of how important it is to pay attention to those little details. Um, one other one that I, I don't want to overlook too, FDIC coverage limits. There are lots of ways to title assets to maximize FDIC coverage which is beyond just $250,000 per person. And so again, knowing those rules can go a long way. You can have, you know, in some cases, you might have a, a million or $2 million with a single bank and have it all be FDIC insured as long as you've got the asset registrations correctly. I've had nightmare stories from the 1990s where People didn't know those rules, and even at the time, I didn't know those rules. But um, where a, a client owned a, uh, had assets in a bank called Comfed Bank in the early '90s, when a lot of banks failed, and his bank failed, he had ninety thousand dollars over and above the FDIC coverage limit in, his, in an account, and I don't think he ever got the money back, he got the you know FDIC amount back, which is hundred thousand dollars at that time. Um, so that's why we pay attention.
1: Wow, those are amazing stories, and. You know, and I think that the stories that you're telling us now are certainly a lot for us to learn by. But by now, I also think our listeners are getting a clear picture about just how important the non-investment elements of financial planning really are. And next on your list, I believe, is Social Security benefits, uh, planning and coordination. How about giving us some more real world examples to that, Jr.
2: Sure. Uh, As as with all of the other non-investment elements of financial planning that we've been talking about. Um, Social security has its own set of Byzantine rules that change and evolve over time. And um, as part of the information gathering process, I ask all clients to provide copies of their social security earnings statements um, for uploading into the document vault that I I provide. Um, And again, the best way to illustrate uh, just how important this is, is through real life examples. And I'm sure I have at least a few that I can share. this is, this is more on the heartwarming side. Um, so I have a, a client who is approaching retirement and, um, actually this was a few years ago. Now she's 63, I think. But, um, anyway, she, uh, um, she had really just had odd jobs most of her life and she had, had a little inheritance she was living off of. And um, she was really worried about how she was going to support herself in retirement. She had been married long before I ever knew her, um, to, um, a man she'd been married to, she had, and this is a key element, but she'd been married to him for more than 10 years, and he was much older than she was, and he had died 15 or 20 years earlier. And I think they'd even divorced uh, uh, before then. But she had no idea that she could claim um, widow's benefits and spousal benefits on his Social Security. So she's getting his full Social Security benefits. Well, uh, against my advice, she actually claimed earlier. She's actually claiming it now, uh, but I tried to get her to wait till, till full retirement age. But that was. I think she's getting an extra 25 or $30,000 a year that she wouldn't have even known to file a claim for, but because that, that rule exists, she was married longer than 10 years divorced or otherwise. She's still entitled to those benefits. So, um, wow,
1: that's, that's great. That's wonderful that you're able to share that with her and help her out.
2: Yep. Um, so that was one, um, let's see another one after a uh, similar story. Uh, um, not an amicable divorce. Uh, I had, uh, client of mine. I knew him when he was married and they divorced. And I knew it was not a happy situation. Um, and uh, uh, his ex-wife passed away and he's now, he, he had just reached full retirement age 66 for him. And um, uh, his birth date enabled him to uh, actually claim on her benefits and defer his to age seven. He was born before 1954. And um, so he was actually getting this Free money from he says he said finally i got something positive out of that marriage
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow
2: <laughs> uh, so that was uh that was one um uh there uh, i know we're running short on time again but the um, um a, a couple more i had a, a client who uh worked for he worked uh, as a teacher in massachusetts and massachusetts teachers don't contribute to social security they have their own state pension fund so if you work for them, um, you're not entitled to social security benefits on your spouse, or um, yeah, you know, if you're earning, if your pension's high enough, or on your own benefits history, even if you had a social security benefits history. So, um, in order to qualify for partial benefits, you would have had to have at least worked at least 20 years or 30 years to get full retirement benefits. And I had a, a the client he showed me a social security earnings statement, and I knew that he was subject to the government pension offset windfall elimination provision under social security. That um, he was only about two years short on his social security earnings of actually qualifying for the 20 year benefit. This was 15 years ago. So he just kept working. And actually by, by the time he eventually retired, he's actually is getting full social security and full pension. He had the full 30 years by the time he was 70. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not wow. sure if he would have kept working anyway, just for fun, but, but that, um, but knowing that rule, there are a lot of people I've seen who retire from Massachusetts as a teacher and don't realize they're not entitled to their special social security benefits. And so there's a lot of states that have it, but it's, you know, all important stuff to know. So. Absolutely. um, Yeah. So those, those are, you know, that's, that's why we quote social security is an important element of financial planning too. So, um, so, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. I know we're unusual. I've been long-winded again, but, um, uh, yeah, let's see. That
1: is great. And and JR, we've covered an awful lot of ground here today and I'm pretty sure that your examples have been really useful in educating our audience about just how important it is to have a centralized planning platform and also to not equate financial planning solely with investing. Is there anything else you'd like to, to say to wrap up today's show?
2: Yeah, so I I think the I I think that probably flogged this horse enough, but hopefully all these examples that I gave really drive home just how tangible the non-investment elements of financial planning are. Um, This is the low-hanging fruit, and the savings that you get in this area are permanent. I mean, if you save somebody $10,000 in tax on something, it's better than investment returns because those are ephemeral. Sometimes things go back down, right? These are you know, just easy ways to add value and sometimes long-lasting value. So pay attention to the non-investment part of the financial plan. It really is. And it's the tre- my treasure hunt is finding those things and making people aware of them. But hopefully our listeners can see the value.
1: That is great. And the title of our show today was Financial Planning as a Treasure Hunt with financial planner J.R. Robinson. I'm Jessica Lani-Rich. Thanks for joining us.
0: for tuning in this week to my two cents be sure to join J.R. robinson and jessica lonnie rich again next wednesday at 6 p.m eastern time and 3 p.m pacific time on the voice america variety channel until we talk again aloha